John, we had a little bit of fireworks at the GM meetings when uh, first Hal Steinman, but especially Brian Cashman came out guns a-blazing. Absolutely. Uh, Cashman, uh, he stored it up. Uh, he hadn't talked for about a month and uh, absolutely uh, right that he came out strong. And uh, I'm going to surprise people a little bit by praising that uh, him for defending his people and uh, giving a defense. I'm not sure he's right on everything. And uh, I can't wait to talk about this in uh, detail with you. Yeah, well, we will talk about that in detail. We'll play hidden error at the end. And mostly we'll have a great guest, uh, Rob Thompson, the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. If you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. John, uh, we're neck deep in the general managers meetings in Scottsdale. Anybody who's, thank you for doing this, watching us on the Yes app, they see we have uh, hotel curtains in our background. Looks like hostage videos right now. Uh, we're not. Uh, we've been very busy at these GM meetings. No, no transactional stuff. But certainly the Yankees are making news here. Uh, they, uh, their owner, uh, Hal Steinbrenner, their general manager, Brian Cashman, when we're talking within the last 24 hours, they both gave long state of the Yankees, state of themselves, state of the past, state of the present, uh, uh, press conferences uh, totaling about 90 to, to 120 minutes. Uh, they said a lot, John. What did you take out of what those two men said? Yeah, you know what? Uh, you know, I think Cashman, I get it. Uh, I certainly understand him defending his people. Uh, you know, that's probably the right thing to do. Um, defending the process, all that. But uh, I do wonder if they've really gotten that, you know, I understand that la they admit last year's a disaster, but it's the moves over the last two to three years that have not been good. And I think we got a little window into why some of those moves are not good uh, to think that you're doing the due diligence by asking Rugi Odor, whether the Gallo can fit in in New York. I mean, that just really doesn't cut it. You've got maybe they did more, but that's what he cited. Can I um, can I ask you one, John? What's the worst one? Asking Rugi Odor, who'd been there four months, if he can handle if if Joey Gallo can handle New York. Rugi Odor, four months. That's what he was. Or asking Nick Swisher if Aaron Boone should stay as the manager. Which, which I don't think either one of them cuts it because what are they going to say? Nick Swisher is employed there. He expects Aaron Boone to stay on. Is he really going to whisper that something negative? I'm sure he likes Aaron Boone. Everybody likes Aaron Boone. The question is, is he a good manager? Personally, I don't think he should have been blamed for what happened last year. I don't think it was his fault. Is he a great manager? 
Still to be determined. I do think they had strategic issues. I do do think he's very good in the clubhouse. But I, I think it, you're asking someone who's who's inherently biased. Uh, Nick Swisher, what's he going to – there's no chance he's going to say something negative. So I, I don't think that was a good idea either. But Ruggi Odor, I mean – I happen to like the guy, but I mean, what we know about him, he's slightly temperamental. He was barely there for a little while. You know, is he really going to trash anybody or even raise a question? I think it was kind of known that Joey Gallo might be a little bit sensitive to be in New York. I think that was kind of, I wouldn't say publicly known, but I think through circles in baseball, if they'd asked me or you or somebody else, I think they might have gotten a better answer than Ruggie Odor. Well, I mean, I didn't the day of the trade. I wrote that I don't think this will work because of uh, temperament. You. Yeah, no temperament. And I think that this is about process now and about the people here. And are they self-critical enough in in, in some ways? They asked Rogio Dua. The Yankees were trying, and and many teams were because you know Brian Cashman could play the analytical scout game. They're the analytical wing of strongly analytical departments throughout the sport. Love Joey Gallo. He shines on a piece of paper, defense, exit velocity, speed, baseball, all that stuff. And then you watch him play baseball. He's not much of a baseball player, right? Like it doesn't really help you win. They were obsessed with getting him for three years. They were going to ask whoever they had to ask to get a positive result out of that so that they could make the trade. I think they're tenured. You know, I'll give you, I think there were so many things said uh, in these two press conferences that seemed crazy to me. Brian Cashman is talking about injuries being a big part of the 2023 season and why they won only 82 games. Got it, right? But besides the fact that the Astros were hurt at least as much as them, the Dodgers were probably hurt more. Tampa Bay with a $100 million payroll lost their entire rotation, et cetera. And the Yankees had two freak injuries. The reason they didn't survive the freak injuries to Judge and Rizzo is because other players got hurt You know who those players were? Injury-prone players they keep adding to the roster. You know, when you add an injury-prone player like Carlos Rodon, when you pick up the option on an injury-prone player like Severino, when you trade for an injury-prone player like Donaldson or Stanton, you know what's going to happen on your roster? They're going to get injured. Then you can't complain and say injuries are a reason we're having problems. Right, and I you you wonder whether they handled the Rizzo injury properly. We we were I was there for that injury. He stumbled away. It looked like he had a concussion. Uh, again, I think they relied on asking him, "How do you feel?" And he's one of the toughest guys in baseball. And he was said, "I'm good enough to play," or whatever he said. Three days later, after having that um, collision with Tatis, and you know, I I don't think I think they probably didn't handle that right. He didn't end up playing. You know, he, he played a while and he obviously wasn't himself. They let it go on for a long time where he was hitting like me or you, not Anthony Rizzo. Finally, he had to admit, you know, something's wrong. And then he didn't play at all after that. So did they handle the injuries right? I mean, they've evaluated it, but the, the evaluate I have no problem with him defending himself, defending the processes. But other than the fact that, I'm not sure that he has done his self-evaluation enough to understand that there are more problems uh, than he thinks. And just like asking Ruggie Odor whether Joey Gallo can play in New York isn't enough, asking Anthony Rizzo whether he's ready to go is not really going to cut it. You're going to have to really look and ask the doctor and make sure that he can go. So I don't know that they handled that properly. 
And then the defense, to change it a little bit, that we have the biggest scouting department and the smallest analytics department. Now, I don't think the Yankees having the smallest analytics department in the league is, is necessarily a positive thing, but okay, he's, he's saying we're not relying on analytics, but ultimately he makes the decisions and he's going to listen to the right people. And it feels like from what you understand, what you hear is that he has listened to the analytics people, even if there are fewer of them, they have more power. It doesn't matter how many, what the numbers are, it's who you're listening to. Yeah, you know, it's uh, interesting, John. Somebody last night asked me uh, exactly that. And I said, uh, just to clear, he didn't say they have the smallest uh, analytics department of the league in in the AL East. But the reality is, first of all, Tampa Bay, Toronto, Baltimore, Boston, maybe they're all top seven and the Yankees are eight. It isn't like the Yankees are 30. They have a ton of analytic people. But to your point, John, if I have five analytic people and 10 scouts, but on every jump ball, I listen to the analytic people, what's it matter what? The, the 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 balance is there right and again uh, uh this is one of those ones where it felt like you use the word self-evaluation i think i'm using the word self-critical but like brian cashman was talking about i had to go get joey gallo because we needed to address the imbalance in the lineup as if someone not named brian cashman had created the imbalance in the lineup like i know i had been writing about that imbalance for years and cash kept telling me what, I'm supposed to make a worse trade for a lefty hitter than the good one I could make for the better righty hitter? And I'm like, yeah, sometimes you have to think about the whole house, not just the room. Like, you've gotten too right-handed. You've gotten too unathletic. And by the time he was, like, in full awareness to make the Rizzo-Gallo trades, he's got to make the Rizzo-Gallo trades because they had neglected that part of it. And now he's talking this offseason about, yeah, clearly we need left-hand hitters. It's like, it took a long time to find this religion. Yeah. I mean, if you want to wrap it up quickly and say what it, what we feel about it, he listens to the wrong people and not enough of them. You know, you could say I'm doing due diligence by asking Odor. And I can't, sorry to keep bringing that one up, but that's the most obvious one to me. I think you probably think the Swisher one's more obvious, but I mean, that's Can you not imagine having Nick Swisher on your kind of like who I'm going to ask I mean, that's how Steinbrenner, let's take it out. But Swisher has become endeared to the family, to the Steinbrenner family. Uh, he's good at it. You know, he's one of the most unfunny clowns in American history, but somehow he appeals to the Steinbrenners and he's embedded himself there. Like, hey, you've got to make good decisions. I don't know that this is a great way to make decisions. I, I can't believe how Steinbrenner waited five, six weeks to talk to reporters and talked about that and talked about bunting. I actually thought Brian Cashman's statements should have been house statements, which is, hey, I get it. We had a bad year, but these are people who have done right by me and my family. The team has been generally successful. If I ran a hedge fund and it had a bad year, I wouldn't fire the person in charge and everyone else. I want to keep these people because I believe in them. And I'm going to give it another year to see it. I don't like Brian Cashman kind of said that. I think that's what Hal should have said. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame Cashman for saying what he said. I, I don't, don't agree with some of the defenses. And, uh, you know, I think I have to question his taste on a few th- people that he relies on uh, generally. Uh, I think that's a key mistake. Um, you know, I, I, I think. You know, people are making fun of the fact that the rant and how defensive he was. You know, to me, he's one is he an incredibly thick skin overall. I've always admired that about him. And he is being attacked by 
the, the fans constantly. Uh, now he's finally showing that, you know, he's human and he's not, it's thin, his uh, skin is not quite as thick as we thought. You know, he's kind of not really even dealing with most of us and just dealing with the uh, the positive side of the press, which isn't much at this point, because obviously he's even admitted it was a disaster of a season. I thought that was a great moment when he was that honest that day. Um, but I think he's got to really, you know, take it in and realize it was a disaster of a season, and they've made a lot of bad moves since Cole, you know, House cited the good moves, and they were mostly relievers, Hamilton, Peralta, Holmes, you know, uh, the bigger moves since the Cole signing, which obviously was great, and the judge re-signing, uh, they have not worked. Rodon so far is not, you know, $162 million pitcher. It's not good. They have, he has five years left, the way we're looking at it. Obviously, we mentioned Gallo, but Donaldson, uh, the big moves have really been disasters, and uh, that's the steal award from him. So I think you've got to own, own that, but I, I don't mind that he was feisty and uh, he gave – answers that he thought were appropriate and uh in a way I, I like what cashman did but i didn't agree with it yeah look look i probably should acknowledge this right because uh, uh give and take between uh the two of us went viral uh on this uh and ju- just i i don't like it uh i've had uh obviously part of uh you know the 30 plus years of doing this you have contentious back and forth with people, the large history of that, it is, it doesn't get filmed and get out on social media. Uh, nobody hears most of the tough questions you ask, including the ones I've asked Brian Cashman, you know, over phones and in one-on-ones in person over the last 30 years. I I just, I should acknowledge it. I, I thought it was fine. I thought he stayed professional. I hope I stayed professional through it. I had a line of questioning from something he said that I thought needed to be asked. And I asked it like I've been asking him in private over 30 years. So, John, I agree with you. I, I Again, I think the owner should have been as feisty and defensive of the group as the general manager was. I had uh, no no problem with it. You know, with you, and no I, problem with his tone and his the whole thing like that. It's just that the message, I think there were some issues with the message, but um, I don't have any problem with the way he handled it generally. Uh he wants to defend, and I get it. Why not to defend? But uh, your defense is actually better that we've been good for 22 years. It's the last three, and we've got to work on it. That's that's a better defense and more in line with reality, I think. Yeah, and John, look, he, I think he said the two things that are reality. He said, no matter what I say today, because you've made reference to the social media, you know, people want to fire him, et cetera. Nothing he said was going to change the minds of people who decided him and his people stink. I mean, the history of him and his people is they put a high-level contender on the field. And then the other thing he said is the only thing will matter is moving forward, do I fix it or not? And that, and now that Hal Steinbrenner has essentially said everybody's coming back to the party except for like a hitting coach who left voluntarily and a bench coach who's getting a job with the Mets, you know, that this is, you know, like it's up to this group that has generally had great success to prove once again that they're not. Because, John, I'll say this, is if 2024 looks like 2023, it's going to be hard to justify that everybody comes back again. Right, and how about them saying that the team's head of analytics, Mike Fishman, is the one who recommended Zealous to them. So, uh, you know, the analytics has come under fire, uh, but Zealous got the job because Mike Fishman recommended him, at least according to Hal. Uh, So what was Zealous going to then come in and do? Recommend that they get rid of or 
change the uh, role of Mike Fishman. I don't know that it should be or not. I don't know enough about it. I'm not saying that it should be, but uh, I mean, there's a clear conflict of interest there. Uh, they, they, you know, because I know they don't believe they think the analytics is great and whatever, but they should have had a recommendation from somebody who's not intimately involved with things. Uh, what, what, what were they going to expect? It's like Odor. What were they going to expect him to say? Swisher, what were they going to expect? They think that's proof. Uh, asking Nick Swisher about Boone, uh, I mean, come on, got to do better yeah. than that. I'm, I'm going to go back to the, the the word I use is I just don't think they're self-critical enough. I don't think they see themselves from 20,000 feet. I don't think they see themselves as others see most them. Most people I, don't. I, John, John, I'm here to agree with you. I know most people are not great self-evaluators. I, I think to the point is they needed a true audit from the outside of, to an your independent, point, and actually of, one that point, was yes. actually independent. This Correct. one was not independent. It was, they were already aligned with the analytics department from the start. Yes. So uh, that was, uh, you know, the Yankees. Uh, the other big news here has been managers, John. Just quickly, Craig Council, uh, 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 Carlos Mendoza to the Mets, uh, uh, Stephen Vaught to Cleveland. Give me your quick overriding thought on it all. Well, if we knew that the Cubs were involved, uh, you know, I can get it. I mean, he got geography, he got the money that he wanted, and that's it. I know he publicly said he want, did it for a new challenge. I mean, you know, I, I don't think there would have been anything wrong with him saying, uh, you know, I want money. the managerial standard. We all wrote that for months, that he wanted to set the managerial standard and help out all the other managers. That's not necessarily greedy or anything like that. I think that's, first of all, human nature to want to get – paid what you think you deserve to be paid. And if it helps out some others, that's great too. And ge geographically the Cubs work and it's a historic franchise. So, uh, you know, he didn't really explain it. Uh, you know, we thought it was mostly, most likely going to be the Brewers or the Mets. The Brewers seem to be a little more upset about it than the Mets. I think the Mets got the realization once he came to uh, have the meeting in New York, I think they started to realize uh, you know, they maybe aren't the favorite after all, you know, he plays things close to the vest, but I think they picked up some hints there uh, and they bounced back with Mendoza. I've been on record since the start. They should get somebody with experience. So I can't come in now and say, oh, this is a great hire. That would make no sense. We don't know whether Mendoza is going to be a great hire. It's a very difficult job to be the second team in New York that's got a reputation of being jinxed. And we know that hiring the first-time managers generally has been a disaster, to steal Brian Cashman's word for the Mets. Davey Johnson worked. He had been the AAA manager. I think Willie Randolph was pretty good. But there's a long list of first-time managers that didn't work. I think David Stearns is a smart guy. Mendoza was popular. It's got a shot, but we really don't know. And... Uh, you know, this is a team that has the wherewithal to get anybody other than counsel. I think it's a gamble that they didn't have to take, but uh, we don't. Nobody knows the answer. Yeah, I'll just close this segment quickly by saying, John, I I think I've learned over time that managing is atmospheric. That maybe Bruce Bochy and Dusty Baker, a guy or two, can go into thirty places and make it better. But you know, the idea of a good manager, I think a good manager is going to be. Does David Stearns get him good players? Does he protect them? Does the owner have reality? Uh, I think it's just a lot of that. Luis Rojas, you mentioned as part of it. I still think he might end up being a good manager at some point, but yeah, how do you fair. end up 
how do you end up being a good manager when you're kind of the shotgun manager right after the Beltran disaster, when, you know, the, 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 the front office and upper management is kind of like in a bit of chaos when the team doesn't make sense on the field. So like in some ways, I feel like Luis Rojas hasn't even managed yet. I'm not sure that that is how you could succeed. So to me, not only because Mendoza was hired by Stearns, but the clock is on Stearns to make sure Mendoza works by helping him with his roster and helping him navigate the first time. We will talk to a very, very successful manager, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, Rob Thompson. Stick with us. Back on the show, and we have a repeat guest, and John and I are so happy. It's this repeat guest, uh, Rob Thompson, manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. And I, I wanted to mention it right off the top. I mean, two, one, in, one plus year in managing, a 155 and 118 record, one NL pennant, one NLCS visit. Toms, it's uh, great to have you. Uh, I know you were obviously trying to get to the finish line this year. Take us back a little bit. Uh, you're up three games to two in the NLCS you're coming home. Your offense kind of shut down. I think it only scored three runs in game six and seven combined. What happened there? What What's the pain still that you're so close to going back and, and you don't get there? Yeah, this one was a little bit different than last year because I, I think last year we, we kind of caught a lot of people by surprise. And there wasn't a whole lot of expectation. The um, And even when we got by Atlanta last year, we knew that we still had the Padres to deal with. And then after that, it's probably going to be Houston. So it was, you know, we knew that it was, or I knew that it was going to be a long haul. And then this year, once we got past Atlanta, like I really felt like we were the team to beat at that point. And, and um, you know, we, we play really well at home first two games against Arizona. And then, you know, we went through the next five games where when we pitched, we didn't hit. And when we hit, we didn't pitch. So um, it was, it was tough and it's still kind of eating at my craw, but um um, but we'll get over it and we got we to gotta move on and, and get ready for next year. Yeah, I was there at the NLCS. I thought you were the team to beat, too. So certainly after you went up 2 nothing with that 10-0 victory at home, it didn't feel like Arizona, an 84-win team, was going to do what it did and give them credit. But what do you think happened to the offense? I mean, Castellanos was uh, the best hitter on the planet, even better than or at least equal to Turner and Harper going to Arizona. And then he didn't, uh, he didn't hit from that point on. And and the rest of the team really uh, didn't hit as much either. Uh, anything you can put your finger on just streaky power hitters or I thought it was dark in Arizona, but that might be, my, maybe that's my eyes. I'm, I'm a little well, older yeah. than these guys. It, it is dark, <laughs> but it's, it's dark for them too. So it's yeah. um, no excuses there. I, I just think that they, they pitched well and they, they made an adjustment after game two. I think that they they wanted to get our right-handers off the dish and then expand and 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 we expanded with them and and that's baseball sometimes and that's the ebbs and flows I talk I talk about all the time the ebbs and flows of of offense are, are just that you know um, and then you you scuffle for a minute and then people try to try to do too much and they get out of their swing they get out of, out of their approach and uh, it's just this snowball rolling down a hill so. Um, you know, we have some things to, to clean up and, and straighten up, but, um, you know, get, you got to give Arizona credit. They did, they did a really good job. Uh, Tom's if I, we, we move it forward now, uh, what you have to do this off season, I guess it starts with Aaron Nola. 
He's been a career-long uh, Philadelphia Philly, a top-of-the-rotation guy. And uh, the season might have been a bit of a roller coaster, but I think he reminded everyone in the postseason just how good a pitcher uh, Aaron Nola is. What what, what do you uh, think moving forward? Do you think you keep him? And if you don't, what are the implications and what do you do? Well, it's it's really it's always about pitching for me. And and Nola has been one of the most one of the steadiest guys in, in all of baseball ever since I've been in Philadelphia. I don't think he's ever missed a start. That's just his work ethic and and how his body reacts to um, to all of this. So, um, yeah, I don't know where we're at with the negotiations there, but um, you know, if it's not Knowles, it's it's we're probably going to have to go after somebody else. But um, uh, I can tell you one thing: Aaron Knowles, he's he's a guy that I I really rely on. I, I trust him. Um, even coming down the stretch, you know, his last five starts. Caleb Cotham, our pitching coach, made a little adjustment with his stride direction. And all of a sudden, you know, he could get the ball to his glove side. He could front hip lefties. He could backdoor righties. His breaking ball was better because he could get on top. He just became, you know, a different cat. And then he, uh, they introduced him to the slide step. So he controlled the running game a little bit better. He just, you know, he's really a complete pitcher. And, and um, as I said, I, you know, I'm not involved in negotiations, but, uh, He's a big timer for me. Uh, let me change the subject a little bit. I don't know if you'll consider this a curveball, but the one big news of this offseason so far is the contract of Greg Council, uh, $40 million, uh, $8 million a year, uh, even more slightly than uh, Joe Torrey, and uh, just an amazing deal. I know that uh, when they so quote-unquote locked you up, you got a two-year extension, your hometown team manager, uh, Schneider, got a three-year extension. Uh, we don't know what you make. I don't. I think, you know, some of the manager's salaries come out. The, the big ones, Bochi, uh, Francona, come out at $4 million, things like that. So we don't know what you make. But uh, after seeing counsel, do you feel significantly underpaid? And uh, shouldn't you get an extension with the, what you've done so far, at least? At the very least, if you if you don't get $8 million, shouldn't you get more years? <laughs> well... First of all, I'm happy for Craig. I think he he was in kind of the, you know, the perfect spot. You know, there were a lot of suitors. He had a lot of leverage. I'm not sure if that's going to be the same for everybody else. Um, and at where I'm at in my life, I'm still in the moment where uh, I can't believe. I never thought I'd make the money I'm making right now. So I'm still really happy about that. So uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I stay that way. I, I wouldn't want to be ever get bitter, but um, no, I'm, I'm happy. And, and um, you know, I, like I said, I, I'm making the appropriate money. I think I'm being treated fairly and, and that's all I've ever asked. And, and coming to Philadelphia, I've never been treated better. So um, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at, but I am happy for Craig. And I think that um, other people will get a little bit of a bump because of this. The other guy I'm happy for is, is Carlos Mendoza, who I know very well with the, from the Yankee days. And, and I know that there's a lot of speculation. They lost, you know, the Mets lost counsel and they got rid of Buck, but Carlos Mendoza is a good man. He's a really solid baseball guy. He understands the old school, if you will. He's got good balance with analytics. He's good with people. I think he's, I think he's going to be a star. So I, if you're a Mets fan, I, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Tom, you kind of took me where I wanted to go. Uh, first of all, though, we got to 
get you into negotiating 101. You don't make <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't make enough money and you're miserable. You, you know, you got you gotta practice a little bit. But uh I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, like uh I think Carlos took the handle from you running spring training. I think you were probably his mentor to how to kind of keep the three ring circus going. And you said that uh, he's going to be a star. Take us deeper. You know the guy. What is it that the Mets are getting in Carlos Mendoza? I think they're, first of all, baseball knowledge off the charts. And that includes integrating the numbers with the players. Um, Very honest. The players will trust him. He'll gain their trust. And that's a huge part of it. Um, He's very respectful. He respects the game. Um, He's going to run the game properly, he, and and he's he's humble. He's 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 not going to think that he knows it all. He's gonna he's going to include other people and ask their opinion, and 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 you know make a decision based on the information at hand. So I, you know, I think this guy's just a solid guy, solid person, solid baseball man. He has somewhat of a similar pathway to you. You know, minor league managing, a uh, little winter ball, AFL. Uh, uh, but ultimately, you had to become a first-time manager after being a bench coach. What would you tell somebody who's going to do this for the first time that they can't know as sort of words of wisdom? Have your media people right next to you all the time when you start out and listen to them. Don't ever think you got that figured out because uh, Kevin Gregg and, and Chris Ware and, and Bonnie Clark, the people that are with the Phillies, if, if I didn't have them, to start with, I'm not sure if I'd ever get through the first press conference. You know, they they just they help you in so many ways to to address issues and and they understand what's coming, what questions are going to be asked, and it's just so helpful to to get you through that part of the of the day. And then you can really focus on baseball. Yeah, I believe you when you say that you're happy and you're not bitter because that's the way you you've always been, as, even as a coach in your late fifties. Um, you know, did you ever? Think, you know, maybe I'm not going to get a chance. And do you think that the pendulum's swinging a little bit? You were the second youngest and the guy who looked the youngest, frankly, off the record, uh, of the four managers left at the end. Uh, you know, and Buck may get a job here. Uh, you know, think we're, we're looking more at some of the guys who have experience a little bit. Yeah, I, I think when I came to Philly, I had sort of in my mind just kind of shut down the whole managing thing. I just figured out it's kind of passed me by. Now let's just forget about that. Let's just go to work on what we need to do here. Cause I was coming into a a situation where, you know, the Phillies hadn't had a whole lot of success for a long time. And, and, you know, I I felt like maybe I was one of the people that were coming in to, to fix it, help fix it. Um, So I wanted to focus on that. So yeah, so a complete shock to me that what happened last year and then and the success that we've had so far. And, you know, I, I think everything's a cycle and a trend. And, um, you know, if, if that's the way it goes, then that's the way it goes. I, I, I really don't know. I, but I am glad to see a, a Carlos Mendoza and, and Craig Council get what he what he got. Now, I'm, I'm, I feel bad for Rossi. You know, he loses his job, but because he's a, a good manager, he's he's going to end up someplace too, and he's kind of that that mix of old school and new school. Uh, I think he does a really good job at that as well. You know, Tom said about just one other thing on on managing uh, because I think it comes up with how much council does get paid here. Uh, the you know salaries had been suppressed somewhat. You were with the Yankees way back when when Joe Torre was making 
the kind of money we're talking about, at least annually, that council is going to make now. And somehow, magically, front offices decided uh, that they were more in charge or managers should be paid less uh, because maybe you're handed a script or help more. And I don't know. I'm here to argue that your job has never been tougher. You mentioned the media responsibilities, which is probably 400 to 500 media sessions a year. Whatever front office help you get, you're still running the game. You'll be, I'm sure game six and seven, nobody screamed about your front office for the offense not performing. It's you, right? Why is the offense performing? I wonder what you think about the job, the modern job of the manager right now. It feels like there is a lot more on your plate. Yeah, I think so. And and, and I think that there's a lot more on the front office's plate too, because there's so many different departments. You're too nice. You know that? You're just too nice. <laughs> no, but I, I do. I, you know, And I don't know how you quantify all that. I really don't. Now, I don't know. I really can't compare it to years ago because I never managed years ago. So all I know is what, what's going on now. And and it's time consuming. I, I I will admit that. But to me, it's still fun. And, and it's, it's, an, it's something new every day. And, and you learn something every day. And you know, as long as that's happening and, and I'm enjoying it, then I'll just keep doing it. You know, I, since I was the guy at the NLCS, I, and the Post covers it better than any uh, paper in the country. We did it, still had two people at the World Series, but I was only going to go to the World Series if the Phillies stayed in it because there was interest in the Phillies in New York. So uh, you gave me a week off uh, by not making it. So thank, thank you for that, I guess. And, or not thank you because, I, in a way, I'd like to be at the World Series. But any regret at all? I mean, I, I thought once 10-0... Uh, you, you were in the only thing I could point to, maybe the one decision that that I was wondering about, and you pinch it for Ross later in the game. I think it was game seven. He was, was bases loaded, but it was early in the game, and he is a terrific defender. It's a close game at this point. You don't want to lose the defense, I guess, but you ended up pinch inning for him. I think then when there was nobody on base and there were bases loaded earlier, you know, you don't have a deep bench. You, you know, you don't have uh you know, Aaron Judge sitting on your bench or something like that. But uh, that's the only thing I could point. Anything that you regret at all about uh, that series? Um, well, I mean, I, I think that there are, there were a lot more decisions like that during the course of the series that I've gone through in my mind. Would I make an adjustment? Would I do something different? Sure. I mean, you know, that's just being honest. And, and you have to do kind of a po- post-mortem after every game and then after every series and and – you know, whether it be a, a pitching move, there were a couple in there that I, I question myself on now and, and even pinch hitting or lineup, lineup construction. Do we change the lineup? You know, all those things I, I, I go through in my mind and, and, and I know a few of them that where I would, would make an adjustment next time. And, and you have to, I mean, you know, you can't be stubborn. You can't try to keep, you know, pushing a square peg into a round hole because it's not going to work. So you, you have to make adjustments all the time. Tom, the biggest star on your team is Bryce Harper. Uh, he came back. He ended up being a very, very capable first baseman, which I think we're a, l- a little surprised about uh, how quickly he adapted to it. What is? How do you imagine his future? You right with Cassiano, Schwarber, and him. You have guys you uh, want their bats in the lineup every day. Where do you want their gloves? What 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 is the future with Harper? Yeah, not not quite sure yet because we're still having s- some conversations with him and trying to figure out where he wants to go. I mean, obviously we're going to make the final decision on where he plays, but uh, it's a good problem to have right now because he did play very well um, at first base. And I, you know, 
um, and made tremendous strides. Bobby Dickerson did a great job with him and, and, and Bryce worked his tail off. Um, so we're still trying to figure that out. Um, I know Dave's talked to Harp. I talked to Harp the other day. It was on a different subject, but um, uh, we'll figure that one out. And, and um, But it, again, it's a good problem to have because he's a good outfielder and he's turned into a, a really good first baseman as well. You know, one thing I, I think you're great at, and I think Council is great at this too, is uh, helping to develop the players that come up through the system. And, you know, Philly isn't credited with having the best system. And, uh, you know, there were obviously questions earlier about Alec Bohm. And Bryson Stott looked like a good player, but he turned into an extremely good player. Um, I mean, how important is this in your job, is 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 to guide these players along? Did you have concerns about Bohm? Because obviously, uh, in the end, uh, he seems great, and he batted cleanup for you guys. Um, you know, it seemed like it all worked out for those young guys. Yeah, I, I think, again, we go back to Bobby Dickerson and, and Alec. I, if you were to ask me four years ago, would Alec Bohm be the – player he is today and I would have said no so that's how smart I am I'm not I don't have all the answers this kid has has developed better than probably any any player I've ever seen at the big league level and I think it is important to incorporate these young guys you've got to have people coming from your system you, you just don't have people don't have enough money I don't care who you are to just have a, a multi-million dollar free agent at every spot I, I think in the last couple of years we've done that and it's just more than anything, giving them confidence, running them out there, uh, letting them know, okay, four days from now, Johan Rojas, you're going to have the day off. So it has nothing to do with your performance in the next three days. I'm just keyholing that day. You're getting, this is a tough right-hander. It's Max Scherzer. You're getting the day off that day. And I think that gives them some confidence that they can just go out there and relax and play baseball and do their thing. And, and we're going to take care of them. And, and so I, I think we've, in hindsight, we've done a pretty good job at that. And, you know, we got Bohm, we got um, Stott, you mentioned, we got Rojas now that's really in the picture, this Kirkering kid that coming out of the bullpen who's got dynamite stuff. He kind of tailed off in the, in the postseason. But, um, you know, I think for the most part, we've, we've done a pretty good job bringing these kids along. Tom, this was a season uh, with new rules, Obviously, uh, the most prominent being uh, the pitch clock, which wiped about 25 minutes off of uh, game time this year. Uh, what did you uh, think of the new rules? And would you go further with anything? you think something else needs to be applied to improve the sport? Um, I thought the new rules were great. And I, and, I mean, I, I like the pitch clock. I like the, the cadence of the game. You know, it's being sped up a little bit. And I, I think once the players got used to it, then it, it really, everything else settled down. Um, from a managing standpoint, you don't have a whole lot of time. So you got to make decisions quickly and you got to be ahead of ahead of it a little bit more than, than you had to in the past. I think that the only thing that I would maybe adjust is, is maybe making it 20 seconds the entire time, whether there's a runner on base or not, just to give the, the pitcher a little bit of time to, to reset between pitches. But uh, you know, but it's it's working out fine. I, I think the guy that had the most difficult difficulty with us was Aaron Nolan, and I think by the end of it, he had it he had it figured out. And, and you know, it just takes time for people to adjust to it. But I, I liked it. I, you know, I liked the the quick games and getting home and being able to get something to eat and you know, getting a good night's sleep. So I didn't mind it one bit. We all liked it, especially those of us with deadlines. Um, I want to ask you about the Mets. I mean. Uh, 
2022, uh, they beat you by more than 10 games and they dominated in the head to head. And then last year they won 75, you won 90. So uh, kind of completely switched around. Uh, where do you think the Mets stand now? Well, I think they're still good. I, I think, you know, injuries were a key part of their ball, ball club last year. So they still have a lot of talent. They've got some guys coming back from injury next year. They're, uh, I'm sure they're going to go out and spend some money and get some free agents. So I, 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 they're, they're always, they're always going to be in the mix. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really getting to be a really good division because you've always got Atlanta. Miami's coming. Obviously they made the playoffs this year. Washington played great in the second half last year. So this is, this is really becoming a, a fun division and, um, I, I think in my mind, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's the best division in baseball. Let me uh, finish by staying provincial. John asked about the Mets. Uh, you were a Yankee for a very long time, uh, decades. And right now, I don't know that your one-time boss, Brian Cashman, has ever been under kind of more uh, storms. Uh, as we're talking yesterday, he had a very feisty press conference for about an hour with reporters kind of defending his defending his group, uh, defending his uh, history a little bit. Uh, you work there, you work for him. He he in social media, he's being fired about every 2.7 seconds. Is he good at what he does? He's extremely good at what he does. I, I really believe that. And you know, and he's willing to make adjustments and he's willing to try different things. And and um, you know, Cash, there's a reason why he's been there for what 30 years or whatever it's been. Um, because he does a good job and and he cares about that organization. Um, he cares about taking care of the, the Steinbrenner family. And, um, and that's all you can do really. And, um, you know, and I think he's got a lot of really good people around him, uh, the assistant GMs and, and things like that. So I, you know, 30 years is a long time. I, I think cash does a really good job. Well, I mentioned the record at the beginning, Tom. So obviously you've done a really good job as the, when you finally did get this chance here as the Phillies manager, again, to NLCS back-to-back -back years, the World Series, one of them. Everyone who knows you is so happy uh, that you got the chance, that you're thriving in the chance. And John and I, I know, both appreciate that you joined us on the show and look forward to seeing you next month in Nashville at the uh, winter meetings. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. John and I are appreciative of uh, Rob Thompson joining us on the show. John, hit or error? I'm going to give the hit to uh, David Stearns. He did a uh, press briefing yesterday that was un unnoticed because uh, Brian Cashman's uh, went viral. And I, I get why. It was a rant that was occasionally profane. I, you know, I think Stearns, uh, you know, we always question whether someone can handle New York. Uh, he is a New Yorker. It does appear that he is fantastic at dealing with the media, handling everything. His questions are, are precise answers uh you know exactly what they should have been and uh you know without revealing too much i'd like probably like him to reveal a little bit more but uh you know i think he's gonna be great in new york we've said it before and i think the mets are in very good hands with him and frankly that's the more important job than manager i i, I do think it's worth a couple of games here and there if you get a francona a baker somebody who's really great uh we'll see about that but the more important issue is the mets got a great person uh, to do the big job, which is the baseball president job.
we'll see how he handles the first stupid Met trick because we know it's coming. I guess maybe it was Billy Epler, but that was so quick. Uh, right, but we'll he got see. criticized for the Mendoza by some people, including myself. And, you know. I actually think I'm with you, John. I think he'll be great at this. Uh, I think he's a smart guy who knows our market and uh, is really deft on his feet uh, and has the ability to tell you something that's accurate without telling you too much, which is kind of the blessing of that. The other blessing of that group is for my hitter error is they convinced managers that they weren't valuable for about the last 10 or 15 years and <laughs> either st- you know stagnated their pay or lowered their pay. So my hit is for Craig Council doing what I think was good and getting managers paid again, at least him. Uh, we'll see if it drags everyone else up. I'm one of these people when I'm sorry, I'm going to do a basketball one, John. When Kevin Durant was a free agent and everyone criticized him for going to Golden State, I'm like, he did his time. He's a free agent. He's great at this. He should go play wherever he wants. I know you know Wisconsin, Milwaukee so much better than <laughs> I do. Not happy. They're not and happy. I know that people there are furious at him for what he did, especially going not just for the money outside, but to the team they probably hate the most, right? In the Cubs. Not probably. Um, it's definitely it, you hate the most. Yeah. In the Cubs. Not probably. And he's going to come in there and sit in the other dugout at, at uh, American Family Field. Uh, it's going to be quite uncomfortable. His sign, the Craig Council Little League Field, has already been vandalized. And, you know, I, my in laws are taking it okay because they're very nice, calm people. But I, I, I think people in Milwaukee are not too pleased about this. You know what? He, he, he did great in his nine years with the Brewers. He was a free agent, and he went where he wanted to went, go. If that was about money, that's when you're a free agent, do whatever you want, like the players. And I think that that managing – I think the managing job has never been tougher because there's never more different kinds of media, media responsibilities, managing up with baseball operations and owners that I think are tougher than ever before, managing down with more sensitive players than ever before. And when you're great at it, you should be paid like Joe Torre was paid 20 years ago. So I'm, you know, my hit is for Greg Council, not just for himself, but reminding everyone that that job should be rewarded. Yeah, and I think he did what, you know, 99% of people would have done, which is take the best offer in a town that fits you geographically. There is one little thing that we've overlooked. You know what that is? David Ross. I think 99% of people would have done it that way, but there is that 1% who would have said, I can't do this to David Ross, right? So I and I don't blame Craig Council for that. You That's know, the Cubs' fault to me, John. They've done this as an organization to now Renteria and Ross, where they're kind of like, hey, it's, it's your Chicago, job. Chicago. Yeah. It's a mob-style thing. I don't know. It's a mob-style thing. <laughs> not a way well, to go, yeah, go. the White Sox did it too, right? With Rent- Rent- Poor Renteria had it done yes. to him twice. Ross but was renteria we're, we're criticizing the Cubs, but they did get a great manager. They did yeah. spend a lot of money to do it. So, you know, it's a double-edged, you know, there's good and bad and all. But I get what Craig Council did. I, I can't really say I blame him, but there was some shrapnel here. And uh, David Ross, I think, is a pretty good manager. And I hope that he gets another job somewhere at some point. John, I know what we did also. We just completed another episode of the show, a podcast from the New York Post, we always thank Andrew Hartz and Jake Brown, our producers who help us get through the show each week. Uh, don't forget, this episode drops on the Yes app at noon on Thursday. You get to see these beautiful curtains behind us if you're uh, doing that on the Yes app. Don't forget, uh, subscribe, rate, review, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And keep joining us on the show each week. It's the hot stove has begun in full. We're at the GM meetings a month from now. John and I will be at the winter meetings doing uh, the show. So stick with us. Thank you so much.